Hello, people of the world, and welcome to today's episode of the Unity Project podcast. For those of you who are tuning in for the first time, the Unity Project podcast is one about the relationships that we have with our bodies. This week, I got to interview someone who taught me so much. Oh my gosh, I was so stoked about this interview that I went and did like an Instagram live about it. I would not stop talking about everything that we talked about because it resonated so deeply and personally for me about so many things. Uh, But I guess I'll tell you the person I interviewed, his name is Chris Marshall. And Chris runs a sober bar based out of Austin, Texas called Sands Bar. And Chris has done so much work in his own life regarding untangling the lies that society puts on us and undoing toxic beliefs and so much. Chris has been sober for 14 years and his story with that is so interesting because he talks about it in a different way than I've heard talked about in a while that I really, really appreciated. He talks about it in really similar ways that I talk about my eating disorder. But basically, the whole concept is about connection. The reason he drank was for connection. The reason I stayed in my eating disorder was for connection. It was because that's the only thing that he thought or that I thought would that would get us to have connection, to not be alone, to not be an outsider, to be different. And another thing he said, which was so incredible, was that drinking was not the problem, but it was a solution to the problem. The problem was the mental health stuff, the depression, the loneliness, the suicidal ideation, all that stuff. My eating disorder, it was a solution to my problem of all the pain and the trauma. I love looking at these things like this because it it takes so much shame well it takes like all the shame honestly out of out of things like drinking or an eating disorder because they really are strategies that we use to get by when hard stuff happens it's not our fault it's our brain's creative ways of getting to the next day of survival Anyway, I loved this so, so, so much. Chris's sober bar sounds incredible. I want to go down to Austin to visit and check that out because this whole concept about it is that it's about connection. Anyway, I so, so appreciated this interview and Chris's time that he shared with us today. So I hope that you enjoy. If you guys are enjoying the Unity Project podcast and you want to support me and get more involved in what I'm doing, then you can go check out my Patreon page. It's patreon.com slash JackieGTV. That is where you can support me for as little as $1 a month. Or if you'd like to learn more about my story and how I got from there to here type of thing, then you can check out my book, Finding Home. That is the story of me looking for what the meaning of home is and how to find home inside of my own body. If you want to pick up a copy of that, then either send me a DM on Instagram or check out my website. All of that information, the links will be in the description box below. Or if you want to support me but cannot afford to do so financially right now, then leaving a review anywhere you listen to podcasts, whether it's Apple or Spotify or Podbean, leaving a review down there, letting people know what you think, that is extremely helpful. So thank you so much. I hope you enjoy.
Marshall, how is it going? Well, I'm doing really good. How are you doing today? <laughs> I am doing good. I'm doing better now. This is the most interesting conversation already that I've had all day. <laughs> already, man. So it's so good to, to talk to you on here. I'm so honored that you wanted to, to be on my podcast. You know what? I think the concept is just so different and interesting. Um, you know, I, there's a lot of podcasts that I enjoy listening to, but I think any podcast that can ask ask us as listeners to go deeper and to explore our relationships with ourselves are always really really important and uh i i feel like it is a real honor to be part of your work oh thank you i appreciate that this has become i think my favorite project i've ever worked on so hearing that really means a lot and honestly you the things that i've looked into like your work, your social media, and the bar that you run. Chris owns and runs a sober bar based out of Austin, Texas, right? That's correct. Okay, yeah. and it is called, what is it called, Chris? It's called Sands Bar. Sands so, Bar. Yeah. Awesome, awesome. Well, I saw that and was super excited because, as I was telling him before, I have been really, really interested in the whole sober world. I recently stopped drinking to just kind of take a break from it. And it's kind of turned into a whole journey of looking inward and looking at stuff that drinking was just covering up the whole time. So I am so stoked to hear your story and to hear about this, this bar and your life and all the things. I'm excited to, to go down this road together with you today. <laughs> awesome, Chris. Well, the first question that I generally ask everybody is to describe the relationship that you have with your body. Hmm. I would, in a word, say evolving. Mm. Um, I, I think I have an, a very evolving relationship with my body, and it wasn't in really until like the last maybe two years um, that I really began to be more mindful of the way that I examine my relationship with, with my body, um, understanding that it is me you know my myself is is my physical self and my mental and emotional self but it's also this other separate part of me because unlike my mind my body is something that uh faces outward into the world the, the world can't always see my mind but the world can definitely see my body and so um it's just been this evolution of understanding that um, it is both part of me and then it's, it's kind of separate from me uh, at the same time. Mm, okay, that definitely makes sense because especially how just the word evolving is such a perfect word for it because I lately have been talking a lot about how like the relationships with our body, like as much as I'd love to say like, oh, I'm so connected every day, all day and going forward but the truth is like it's such a journey it's such a back and forth process of like we're together and now I feel separate and it's just constantly turning into something new and something yeah just new and so I really like how you're phrasing that uh, but what is it like describe what it feels like when when you know that you feel uh, separate from your body mm. hell Hell, <laughs> I, yes. <laughs> I think if we were to put it in a word, it would be hell. It's separation from the the most cosmic part of myself, uh, the part of myself that belongs to the stars. 
um, the part of myself that is stardust is is my skin, is my bones, are my lungs. Um, and when I am not connected to that, it is a, a, a separateness that is that is cold, and and it feels I, I don't feel like I'm a whole being. Um, and I, I'm just thinking about the last time I really felt that way, and um, the last time I really felt separated from my body. Uh, man, it, it was probably during the pandemic. <laughs> you know, I I, uh, I went to a to a rally for George Floyd's. Uh, you know. The injustice that happened to George Floyd and um, I had a moment where I felt completely detached from my physical self um, and it and it was this feeling of of coldness of of unsettling stillness um, a body that's in motion but a mind that is still and frozen and um, uh, I, I just even talking about it now I just I dislike that so yeah. much I dislike that that feeling so much and it's so real and so visceral and um, I'm sure people who are listening may may understand what I mean when I say that separation yeah oh that that makes so much sense I I was actually just a couple days ago trying to describe this feeling to my therapist actually it's like your mind freezes, your body's going through the motions and it's doing like what it knows to do, but your mind like, or my mind, like it like froze and all of a sudden it wasn't a part of the motions anymore. And I felt like I just went on autopilot and it's scary. It's, and it does feel cold and still and weird and ugh, it's not good, but it's crazy though. Cause like, have you always been aware of I guess like bodily sensations and knowing oh this means that I'm anxious or this means I feel separate or depressed or excited like have you always kind of known the differences no uh I a big part of my story is that I I started drinking when I was 16 and what I didn't understand at the time was that I was drinking for the rite of passage like this 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 thing that seems like all suburban kids do you know that have that first drinking experience but what i was also doing underneath that was trying to medicate the sheer negative electricity that coursed through my body uh most of my life i wasn't i didn't have the language or the awareness to understand that there was always this energy that was that fight or flight energy and it was always there it's been there since i was five years old and when i drank for the first time i felt that that community bond that that bond sense of like drinking with other people and having that rite of passage and sharing that moment with with the guys that i was with but i also had this physical sensation of dizziness but then numbness and it was a settling of my skin in a way that i didn't even know existed it's kind of like uh, when you when you always have needed glasses and then you put glasses on for the first time, it's like, oh, this is what the world is supposed to look like. Oh my gosh, things that were once 
fuzzy and far away are now brought into focus and I understand uh, what people experience in the world because I, I haven't experienced that prior to this moment. And when I drank for the first time, I absolutely felt this shift in the way that I felt mentally and physically. Wow, that feels so real to me. It's like bringing me back to the first time I ever drank and just that moment of like, you'd never felt that before. It's like this, you described it so perfectly and it's just like this whole new glimpse into this whole different way of experiencing life that for a second feels better, way better. And oh, there's just so much that goes into that. That's interesting. You, you talked a lot about um, how you felt really connected, I guess, in a way when you were drinking or how that like helped you get to a place where you felt like you had community and connection and stuff. What do you think it was about it that brought you that? Oh, I, I think the first part of it is I... You know, to understand why that was such an impactful experience, you do have to understand that I grew up feeling largely disconnected from society and the society that I grew up in. Uh, I grew up in a suburb of Houston uh, and predominantly kind of white, affluent uh, suburb. And I was reminded on a daily basis <laughs> Uh, not explicitly, but implicitly reminded that I was not like everyone else. I did not look like everyone else. Um, most people that were my friends or you know peers had both parents. I, my mom was a single parent. Um, most kids had a lot more life experience because they had the money to travel to Switzerland or go to Brazil on vacation, and, and I didn't have that. And so I was inundated with this message, you are different and you don't belong. And there were some instances where I was explicitly told, I don't belong, I don't fit in here, this is not for you, what are you doing here? Um, there, there, there were those real moments, but then there were also just the small, tiny micro moments where it was clear that I was not supposed to be there and that these spaces and these situations were not designed with someone like me, a black kid in mind. And so uh, I grew, just grew up just seeing the world in that way. And, and it, it caused, uh, I don't think I've ever described it as electricity before, but it, it, it absolutely is. It, it was this, this whirring, this, this buzzing, this, this energy that was always moving around in me even in even in my sleep it was moving all around me and when i had that drink um for most people their first drink of alcohol is a very forgettable experience but for me it was semi-religious it was <laughs> um you know, right up there with the, the, the first time I, I had sexual relations or the first time that I uh, saw my kids. You know, like it, it's, it was a moment that most people, again, just, just kind of write off. But to me, it was the, the first time I felt like I belonged and I was like everyone else. Because alcohol did the same thing to all of us. It was the first time I felt a sense of allness 
if you drink alcohol, you get intoxicated. If I drink alcohol, I get intoxicated. It doesn't matter how rich you are, how poor you are. It doesn't matter how smart you are. Um, it doesn't matter how much money you make. We all get impacted by alcohol. And I don't know why that, and even say, like, it sounds weird for me to say that, but like, that was, that was what my 16-year-old self recognized. I recognized the allness of intoxication. Wow, that, I've never heard it put like that, and that makes so much sense. It kind of like evens out the playing field for a second, and it just brings you into connection over this one shared experience. Wow. Yeah, I was, I was listening to something you were talking about in a different podcast earlier today about how growing up you were one of two black kids in your school the other one was your sister yeah yeah <laughs> yeah i mean if 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 uh one of us was out for the for the day it was like half the minority population of the school was gone oh um, my gosh you know <laughs> wow. it, was, it was tough and uh that that experience kept repeating itself and, and and it wasn't always about race it was it was oftentimes about the way that I encountered the world. I often felt like wherever I was, I was the only one. I was mm -hmm. the only one. Um, you know, eventually I moved to a school in, in the school district for a minute that was much more diverse. My mom was the principal of the elementary school that I went to in fifth grade. And that school was super diverse. Mm. Uh, <laughs> But I still managed to feel like the only one because I was the only I was the only boy in fifth grade whose mother was the principal of the school. You know, like, like even e even in cool, like cool moments, I found ways to like make myself. different. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That makes sense, though. That like totally makes sense. You're just you're trying to process and understand your life and what's going on. And oh, my goodness. Have you ever heard of the Enneagram? I have. Do you know what number you are? I don't. Okay. I have a guess, but you're not supposed to do that. So if you ever take it, let me know what you are and I'll let you know if I was right. So I've taken like an online one, like, like one of those, like not the real one. I haven't taken the real one. So that's why I, I, when people ask me if I have taken the test, I say no, because I haven't taken the real test. I've taken like uh. one I found online for free. So, um, okay. That makes sense. That they is, make you pay for it now, right? I didn't. Yeah, that's lame. They didn't do that back when I originally took it, like years ago. It was free, and then now all of a sudden, everyone has to pay, and I'm like, that's dumb. Yeah, I I think it's worth paying because everyone asks me like, what number are you are? Like people, it's like an inside joke now. Like, oh, yeah. that's such a three thing to do. Oh, look oh. at us choose. I'm like, uh, I have no idea what any of that means. Oh um, my gosh, it's its own culture. It really is. It's it's the it's the new Myers Briggs, you know. Oh, for sure. For sure. But I guess the reason I brought that up is because you were talking about feeling like so alone and so different. And I don't know, like, I guess going back to the first school that you were talking about when you and your sister were the only the only ones, I can just imagine how like, how did that make you feel about yourself? Mm. It just made me feel backwards. It made me feel like, uh, like... <laughs> Like I was going through life on the other side of the street. Like, you know, like when you drive down a one way and you're going the wrong direction, it's it. Even if you don't see any signs that say wrong way, you can kind of feel like, wait a second, this this road isn't meant to go this way. Something is not 
something's not right about this. Um, mm-hmm. that there was there was always that feeling, and again, I, these these spaces um, and experiences that I would encounter were not designed with me in mind. There weren't they weren't designed with a kid of color in mind, and. Um, I remember that, uh, and I don't remember even what grade this is in, but this is a memory that just popped in. Um, I don't even think I've ever shared this before, but there was uh, this this girl, and I don't know, was it maybe, it was another school, not the school that, you know, it was me and my sister, um, but there was a girl, and we kind of liked, hated each other, but like we hated each other we liked each other it's the thing kids do you know <laughs> element elementary school crush you know kind of thing for sure and i remember that um so much of that re- like like the guys would kind of get me to like go talk to her and all that like it was a whole thing um but a big part of that was that i was a black kid and it was like, ooh, you gotta go, like, ooh, Chris likes you, like, that's gross, like, oh, oh that's so weird and gross, and, like, this girl is, you know, white, and oh my gosh, like, it was, I, I'm just, I, the echoes of those comments. Oh my god. That's so dehumanizing. It, it was a... It was a, a, a thing. Hold on, let me, let me, let me move back a little bit. Um, it was a situation that happens a million times on playgrounds across the world. <laughs> um, yeah. But that extra piece of my, my skin, my body, my, my brown boyness made it a situation where it wasn't even fun. I mean, if it, if you take out the, the, if I, if I was a white boy and this was a white, you know, young girl and we were teasing each other and playing on the playground, it would have a completely different connotation. But part of what made it like this game was the fact that I was black and I, and and the the girl was somehow like it was it just I, I'm still piecing it together because it just I have not thought about that in, in years but um, wow <laughs> oh my gosh I can't even that's like hard to process honestly because it you're exactly right when you say like it's something that happens on millions of play, playgrounds all over the world all the time and oh my gosh I could just like imagine how confusing that would feel about who you were and whether or not who you were was okay or good enough or was capable of connection or capable of love and just I don't know like I oh I think about like stuff with like sexuality stuff um like I'm I'm bisexual and growing up I like knew that but I didn't want to say anything because of you know that whole story and if you're growing up like in the church with that, then all you hear around you is homophobia and you're going to hell and yada, 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 but they don't know they're talking about you. So then you kind of grow up with this like internalized homophobia. And then you end up, well, at least in in my position, I ended up just like hating myself because I was like, Oh, something's damaging me that I can't change. 
and that means I'm just, I'm bad. And so how do I tolerate that? And I guess like for me, like partially for me, like it was also drinking or an eating disorder. It's like these ways that you can kind of numb out those intense feelings like you're talking about. When so so you started drinking. How old were you? Were you eighteen? I think uh, I remember. I was six. I was sixteen. I was sixteen. Sixteen. I, I was kind of a late bloomer, you know, in the in the scheme of things. Statistically, you know, kids drink a lot younger um, than that. But I had really. I grew up in the church. I actually, I grew up in you know Southern Baptist, and um, just did not believe that alcohol was good for me and I had seen kind of what it could do I'd seen the impacts of alcohol so it was something that I, I really had this kind of like I'm not gonna do this uh, but then once I saw that my friends were connecting around alcohol I was like oh wait a second this is not what I thought it's not the poison I thought it was <laughs> it's it's a vehicle it's gonna get me to a place where um, I get to share in this experience with all of my friends where I get to be um, seen as one of the guys. Oh, wow. Okay. So that totally makes sense why that would shift things. And like that, that's honestly one of the reasons that made me want to drink too, is because it's like, oh, this makes you feel included. And it, it like it, it serves those needs that everybody has and everybody deserves, which is connection. Like everything goes back to connection, which this is kind of jumping ahead to something I wanted to talk about later. But what I love about what you say about your sober bar is the whole thing. Like the product is the connection between the people. And I love that so much because that's what we're looking for. We're looking for, I don't know, something to prove that like we are worth living or worth being on this planet that we're actually not alone and not I don't know we're not bad and I don't know I just I have so much compassion for that moment for 16 year old Chris oh my gosh just given just given your story and whatnot and and things as far as that moment on the playground and so many moments I just it just breaks my heart. It's like you got to do what you got to do to to get through to get to the next day. So you talk about how alcohol kind of brought it gave you that like kind of buzzed feeling and brought you to like feel like you're on the same page as everybody else. Okay, that makes sense. When did that start to look like it wasn't working anymore? I guess like as a strategy to to be on the same page as everybody. Very early on. <laughs> uh, it happened very, very early for me. Uh, I, uh, I think the second time I drank, uh, I ended up totaling my mother's car and getting thrown in jail for the first time. Uh, I was not uh, very good at drinking. And I think it was because I was um, not just, not just, you know, I just didn't stop. Because what I realized was like that first and it might have been like the second or third time I got into a, a car accident, but uh, it was very early on in my drinking career. I had this like huge consequence, but to me, it didn't matter because um, I was trying to make this connection. But what I learned very early on was that I was drinking for reasons other people weren't. I was drinking, yes, for the connection, but then quickly I realized it could numb out that feeling of being different. It could take away that like, feeling like I'm not good enough. And so very quickly I started, I mean, literally within the first handful of times I started drinking, 
until I either passed out or had to be physically stopped. I just was drinking for a different reason than the other kids were drinking. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That must feel terrifying if you recognize that so early on to be like, okay, now why is this different for me too? Like what's, what's wrong? Like how did that, how that come across to you? I guess like after sobering up and realizing, oh, I can't do this like everyone else. Like what was that experience like? Uh, it was familiar, right? Like Mm -hmm. I had spent my life being different. Um, and, and really in many ways, in ways that, uh, the problem with seeing yourself as different is that you never get to see how you're beautifully different. Mm -hmm. I was only looking at how I was defectively different, how I was wrong, bad, um, maladaptive, how I was not good enough. What I, what I failed to realize is that no, Chris, like you're also different in very beautiful ways. Like the way that you see the world is incredible. Like you are creative in the most wonderful ways. The fact that you see, that you see differences is a um, primary beautiful feature of your brain because you always see the difference in things and that's what makes you an innovator. Like all of those things were never, I never could, could see those things or acknowledge those things about myself while I was drinking. It wasn't until I got uh, alcohol free that I realized that, oh my gosh, you are, you are beautifully different. You have so many wonderful things about you um, that are worth celebrating. And uh, it, it, it wasn't overnight. That didn't happen overnight. But over time, it, it was something that I became aware of. Uh, I look at my relationship to alcohol like, a, like any relationship. Um, that or any relationship that ends in divorce we had a good relationship uh it started it started always it was always rocky and always toxic but we had some good times but we also had some very hard times together but ultimately alcohol and i did not work out and it it only didn't work out because i abused alcohol alcohol did not abuse me i misused it it was a tool and i used it for the wrong purpose and because of that, we cannot be together. And once I was able to understand it, like it was a breakup, like we, like we just cannot be good together. And as an ex, like I wish alcohol all the best, <laughs> you know, metaphorically speaking, I, you know, I have my thoughts about alcohol, which we can get into later, but um, I wish it all the best. And when I see it with other friends and I would see it out on Instagram, like, Good for you, alcohol. You do your thing, but I'm moving on. I can't continue to have you in my life because I, when I do consume alcohol, all I see is the darkness. All I see is how I'm um, defectively different than the rest of the world. Mm. Wow. That's a really good analogy to look at it with. What, like, so I was reading one of your Instagram posts and you. And you mentioned how when you stopped drinking, uh, all your, the issues and like the mental health stuff didn't evaporate. It didn't go away. And I've experienced like a similar thing with, I guess, stopping any kind of coping mechanism, like anything, like an eating disorder, you start eating normally again. It's like, oh my gosh, all these issues appeared. I thought it was all going to be fixed by just fixing that problem, but it just stops, I guess, filtering over the problems. Now you get to see it and actually deal with it. 
But what was that? What was that process like? I know you talk about like depression, anxiety, suicidal ideation. What did that look like? Yeah, uh, the mistake I think a lot of people make is they think that whatever the the coping mechanism is, um, that 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 becomes problematic, is a problem, and it's not a problem. Mm. It's a solution, and you've been using that solution for so long that you you have you develop problems around it the solution becomes problematic it's not the problem necessarily so when you stop using that solution the problems that you that you were trying to solve with that solution are Mm -hmm. still there (laughs) um like i said at the beginning of this conversation i was five years old when this electricity began coursing through my body this this defectively different electricity began coursing through my body so when i started drinking it seemed to solve that but when i stopped drinking and that solution evaporated that same issue i was struggling with since i was five years old came back and it came roaring back and uh i think there's just a myth in in wellness in general that there is a short path to getting Mm. better and for me it's been a long path of realizing that i'm still healing my five-year-old self and the and the five-year-old part of me that experienced anxiety is is getting better the 13 year old part of me that told my mom in middle school that i I wanted to go to sleep and Mm. never wake up needs healing the part of me that through the duration of uh, uh, you know some of the darkest days of my drinking, I was cutting myself. Um, that part of me is healing today. So I honor and acknowledge that I am healing multiple versions of myself, and that cannot be done by simply putting down yeah. a vice. It takes time and it takes real time. Mm. Okay, I love how you put that, how alcohol is not the problem, it's the, it was a solution. That is, oh my goodness, that's just so on the dot. Well, what does your healing journey look like, like healing these different parts of you? Because, I don't know, I mean, my, my therapist, or I don't even think it was my therapist, I think it was someone when I was in treatment was talking about how you can't take away... Um, someone's coping mechanism without like replacing it with something you can't just like say just don't drink and you just have nothing else and it just doesn't it's so complicated it's so like nuanced and complex and like what did that healing look like for you well that healing looked like many things especially when it comes to my body right like i had to first of all stop drinking because it was this unhealthy relationship that had abuse at its center. I also had to stop, um, you know, using alcohol to self-medicate the anxiety and depression. So that looked like for me, talk therapy and some medication, uh, which I absolutely advocate people taking medication if they need to. Um, And then it was the social piece. And that, that central thing, right, that always feeling different, that not feeling connected to anything or anyone, I had to go back and find a way to heal that. And I think for many people, focusing on the why, we, you know, why we 
have an eating disorder or why we self-harm or why we um, have a, another kind of process addiction. Um, those questions are valid, but I think they're, they're the wrong question, the, the wrong why. We say like, why is this a problem for me? Why did this, you know, come up, show up in my life? Why did I lean on alcohol for so long? Like, why, why, why? And I think the, the real, that's one version of why. And I think that the real why is, the real question of why is, why did I keep going even though I saw those negative consequences mm. happening? Not why I started, but why did yeah. I keep going? Oh, wow. That's big. Yeah. So if you were to, <laughs> to more succinctly say that, and I'm, you know, uh, it would be not why did I get started, but why did I keep going? Why did I keep going when I knew this was no good for me? Why did I keep going when my body was saying no more? My body was physically rejecting alcohol or my body was physically saying like your relationship with food is not sustainable or you know why when people were telling me that um i was working too much or too, you know whatever the, whatever your 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 thing is um the question is not why did you start it's why did you keep going when negative things started to happen and i think the real reason that that's the focus is because once you realize that i think there's the solution and for and so for me for chris what that looked like is why I got started, of course, is because of, you know, all these other things that we've been talking about. But why did I continue after I got into a car accident, after I started, started to experience scarring on my liver at 22? Why when I lost every meaningful relationship in my life, why did I keep going? And I kept going because I wanted to feel mm. connected. So the answer for me was connection. Wow. The answer for me was being around people and feeling a part of something. And I went to rehab for the last time at the age of 23. And I was very fortunate that I met some people in that treatment center that decided that they were going to just surround me and love me. And so I could love myself and that was the first community that I found myself in. And when I became part of that community, it, it was awkward and you know, I would laugh and it would feel awkward to laugh because I just didn't, didn't know how to authentically mm. laugh. <laughs> um, I just, I didn't know how to look the world in the eye. And I was celebrated for being different. I was celebrated for, for seeing the world in the way that I do instead of that, that defective difference, the beautiful difference was celebrated and encouraged. And um, my, 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 uh, my friends were saying, you know what? You see the world in a, in a wonderful way and that's gonna impact um, the world. And you know what? These people were older than me. These people were, were wider than me. These people had more money and more uh, sobriety. I mean, if I wanted to count the differences, I would need at least two hands. Once again, there were differences, but those differences did not determine uh, the trajectory of those relationships. For once in my life, I was able to rest in who I was. 
and be comfortable in who I was. And I was encouraged uh, to be my beautiful self. Like that, that is what made those relationships so impactful in those early days. Um, that would lead me to go on a course to become a counselor. And in my work as a counselor, deter determining that that sense of disconnection and the lack of community was the main factor for a lot of people. I thought I was the only one. I thought I thought I was the only one who would pick up a drink because I didn't want to be the only one not drinking. I thought I was the only one who would feel the pressure of your peers and drink even when you know that you have a problem with it. I was I was convinced that I was the only human being on the planet that thought this way and felt this way. And my work as a counselor revealed to me that this was a very common thing and I, I found that people needed a space to go where they could connect with other people. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I was hearing uh, an interview with you earlier and you talked about how that's like one of the biggest issues I guess people have is like they, they get through rehab and they could do it, but then they get back into the real world and it feels so lonely. And it's like, I don't know, because there's so much to say about the concept of alcohol bringing people together because it's like this world is obsessed with it. It's, it. It takes over every social, every social gathering, every anything that like looks fun or looks like connection, alcohol comes in and becomes like the center of it. And so I guess that leads to talking about your, your bar that you opened. How did that like link to that? Where did that come from? Yeah, I, I realized that we are, we are wired for connection. We crave connection. We are always seeking connection in multiple ways. And ultimately dependence on substances or processes um, are a cry for connection. We are we're looking for some kind of connection, some kind of control. And uh, I knew that what I was doing as a counselor was good work. Don't get me wrong. I, I loved I loved being a counselor. I loved working with people and, and the hundreds of people I worked with in my career were incredible. But I knew that I couldn't do the real work because that the problem wasn't eight to five Monday through Friday. The problem was Friday nights at mm. 10 p.m. when all of your friends are dressed up and everyone's going out. And if you're not drinking, there's nowhere for you to go. And uh, yeah, just created this this concept and it's been a remarkable ride. Uh, I've been open since 2017 and uh, we have a great physical space here in East Austin. And uh, on a good night, uh, there's people talking to each other, strangers connecting who didn't know each other before the night began, people trying interesting drinks. But most importantly, people walking away, finding in Sands Bar what they were looking for in alcohol. Mm. Oh my gosh, I love that so much. So, so much. Because that's, that, just you saying how that's what you were looking for in alcohol, that, that resonates so deeply because... I mean, that's so true. That's so, so true. And I was hearing you talk about like overhearing a conversation of two people out drinking and the connection instantly stopped when they started drinking. And the whole reason they went there was to like, we're going to go hang out with friends, but actually no one's actually going to hear anything anyone's saying. And so the idea of taking all the good 
from like a night out. All the good of like the dressing up, the meeting your friends, the trying fun drinks, going and eating good food, going to like a place with music and sometimes dancing and like you take all that good and you put it in this environment and take the poison stuff out. And then the connection is like all that's really left there. Oh, it's so good. Thank you for making that. I am so I need to like book a ticket to Austin once traveling is OK, because I want to come check it out. Well, you know, with as soon as, you know, travel restrictions uh, ease up a bit, uh, I think we will, you know, be back on the road with our Sandspar tour. OK, I'm where do you go out to California at all? Absolutely. So we did our we did a pop up in L.A. in 2019 and we had every intention of uh hitting up the Bay Area in 2020 before COVID hit. So uh, we really want to make uh, a, a big push into California. And uh, I think we'll be there probably by the end of this year, if not for sure, in 2022. Okay, amazing, amazing. Because I'm about to be doing a lot of traveling in an RV up and down the, the coast over there. And wherever we go, hopefully we're going to end up somewhere where you are. We'll cross tours. <laughs> Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, for sure. I mean, even this summer. I mean, I don't know if you're gonna, if you're what your summer plans are. But oh, we'll that's be in the plan. Portland. Well, more uh, so fall, but kind of around then. So yeah. So in, I think it's September first. I'll be in, or is it August first? I can't remember. I think it's July, the end of July and the first of August. I'll be in Portland, doing our fireside connections, which are kind of socially distanced outdoor experiences where people can connect with each other. Um, I think, yeah, well, I'll, I'll check the, I should know this off the top of my head, but no worries. Alas, There's a lot I, of information. I, am, <laughs> I got a lot of things going on, uh, but I know we're going to head up to Portland. Um, the Pacific Northwest is an absolute um, sanctuary for me. Yes. Uh, it is, it is the place that uh, is my spiritual Mecca and uh, I, I have missed traveling up there because of uh, due to COVID. So I look forward to getting back out on the road and connecting with people across the country. Oh, my gosh. I'm so stoked. I'm going to put that on a calendar and just drive up there. I know the plans like how we're, we're renovating an, an RV through the summer and then we're planning on driving up through Portland and either camping out in Portland or in Seattle. So we'll be in the area. So I will meet you and I will try. You got to make all the best drinks for me. OK. <laughs> oh, it's going to be an incredible experience. Uh, we're, we've been planning this Portland trip for a long time because actually Portland was the last place I flew to and flew out of oh, uh, last no. March. As the as the pandemic was like, it was like the last day the world oh, was open. Man. Uh, and so my goal has been uh, to get back to Portland because I felt like I just needed to, like life will restart for me if I go to the last place we had a great party. <laughs> that is which so is good. Portland. That is so strange. Just the pandemic is so strange, but that is such a good, such a good idea to go back to where it all stopped. Just hit play again, maybe rewind and refresh a little bit. That's what, see, you get it. That's what that's yeah. exactly, it's like. I want to go right back to where I stopped. And yeah. uh, so much has changed, of course, since then. But I, I had that was a magical night. And it, and even then, like we knew that the pandemic, we knew something was happening. Uh, no one was wearing masks then because we just didn't know. But we already yeah. I think people weren't hugging. I remember that being a thing like people didn't hug. So like, I don't know, is this I don't it was it was like the day before everything shut down. It oh, was God. literally the last 
the last time I was in an Uber, you know, um, <laughs> all that stuff. Wow. That feels like decades ago. It does. It feels like a lifetime ago. <laughs> That's so, so strange. Oh my gosh. Have you got vaccinated yet? Yes. I got my second shot on Saturday. Amazing. I got mine last week. So we'll nice. be a little bit safer. That's a little bit so safer. Good. Yeah, for sure. Yes. I uh, was very glad to get the shot for sure. Uh, well, Chris, I have two more questions for you, and then I'm going to let you go off to all the things that you have to do. But the first question I have is, what what are ways that you, I guess today, when you're feeling disconnected from your body or disconnected from yourself, like like last summer at the, at the march, um, what are ways that you bring yourself back to your body? So I actually started to work out on a consistent basis during the pandemic you know of course a first you know at first uh you know as, as the pandemic began uh i was like everyone else and kind of like sitting at home couldn't go outside and so i was just kind of like you know eating more and just like you know <laughs> not moving much but i <laughs> i began to kind of move my body i got into kind of jogging and then i connected with a personal trainer and um, it has made all the difference in the world. Um, I'll shamelessly, shamelessly plug my coach. Her name's Sarah Khalifa, and she, she focuses on anxiety specifically. Um, and so it's been a very, very cool experience to work with a coach who deals with anxiety. She offers, she offers like online stuff too. So it was great during the pandemic, we could work together. Um, but that has helped me to develop this relationship with my body that I've never had before because in the past it's been about like fitness goals and and you know getting ripped and all that stuff and mm -hmm. since I began this coaching you know coaching with coach Sarah it's been about feeling good about my body and checking in with my body and if there's any aches or injuries like pausing and putting breath into those places where there's soreness or stiffness um, incorporating a little bit of yoga, you know, into like it's it's been very very nice to have this new orientation to the way that I honor my body. I honor the stardust inside of me. Mm. Oh, that's so that's so beautiful. I love that. Honor the stardust inside you. I like want that to be like a mantra now. Oh my gosh, <laughs> that's so good. I love yoga, and I'm definitely gonna go check out your personal trainer because I I had a whole issue with trying to find the balance or still have a whole issue with trying to find balance between healthy movement and like obsessive um, need to exercise to look this way and like it just feeds the anxiety versus like helping it so I am that's right up my alley I love it yeah yeah definitely yeah give her give her a yeah definitely go give her a follow it's um, anxiety fitness coach on Instagram and I think you'll you'll love it Okay, amazing. My last question for you has nothing to do with anything else. Is that okay? Yeah, that's fine. Go ahead and ask. Okay, would you rather every time it either rained or snowed, what actually fell from the sky was Lucky Charms, but you're the only one who knew that. Everyone else sees rain or snow, but you see Lucky Charms, and you can go out and get a good bowl of Lucky Charms and, like, eat it, but people are going to just see you eating snow. They're going to be like, all right, he's eating some snow, but you're, like, totally digging this. But only you and you can try to tell people, but it might be kind of hard to get them to believe you that it's actually Lucky Charms and not rain or snow. Or would you rather 
every single day for the rest of your life. You have to wear pants with different sea creatures on them, like a bunch of really obnoxious uh, clownfish or a bunch of really obnoxious like hammerhead sharks to all the events, all the things, your PJs, every pair of pants you have has a bunch of sea creatures on them. And you can't tell anyone why you just that's just how it is. <laughs> These are both pretty good existences. I'm like, is one supposed to be like not good? Cause I'm I good with you. either. Um, but I think I'm gonna go with the uh, the, the oh, snow same. and lucky charms. Um, and I'll tell you why because I feel like that's what I do anyways. <laughs> right? Like I'm telling people that the the life that I live today, not drinking is lucky charms and all they see is snow all they see is how they're missing out or i'm missing out on uh quote unquote fun and all i'm saying is i am literally a a lucky human being to have found uh the why i kept going and that i am vastly fortunate to be um the kind of person that sees lucky charms and snow that is that is not a bad existence. That is not a bad reality. Um, I would be proud to to eat snow, and I'm willing to believe that I would make it look. Oh so yeah! Good <laughs> oh my gosh! You just took that question and made it a whole metaphor. I love that. I'm gonna eat those Lucky Charm snows with you. That's so good. I kind of want to like use that as as an example. <laughs> oh, take it, take it. I got, I got. You know. Oh my that's, gosh! That's what I love. You know, I, there, it's it's. That's just how I see the world and that's how I see things. And that's that's what I celebrate today about myself. Um, you know, being sober for 14 years has taught me that I will continue to surprise myself. There will always be things about myself that are, are new and fresh and exciting. And I would never have that experience if I just saw snow falling from the sky. Mm. I choose to see the world as lucky charms and it has made all the difference. Oh my gosh. Amen, Chris. That is so good. You're writing a book, right? Yeah. Okay. I was about to say you should write a book, but then I like remembered you said something about writing a book. Oh, I mean, like if I could ever like bring myself to like, you know, release it. Um, oh, man. If you yeah. do, let me know. I will be on that pre-order list. <laughs> I hope so. You know, I, I hope so. It's, you know, it's just it's one of those things where I am discounting my ability to to read. And then it's also a very just you know, vulnerable in a different way. I think mm -hmm. it's different for people to hear a podcast and uh, I've, I've had no problems sharing about self-harm or, you know, the, the elementary school story I just shared with you. I have no problem speaking it, but for some reason, writing it and people reading those words, um, it just hits different. It just, yeah. it's, it's a different thing. And those words have an immortality about them that is very... Um, it's very big. And, and I just, I, I think that I'm just working the, the mental aspect of it in my mind, just to, just to wrap my head around like, okay, these words will live in physical form and mm. uh, they will no longer be just inside of your, your head and just inside of your heart. They will now belong to other people who will read them and make whatever meaning they need to out of them. Um, that is, that's the conversation I'm having with myself. <laughs> oh, wow. That makes sense. It's like you, you kind of hand over control a little bit. Well, like a lot. 
That makes sense. Well, you keep you keep me posted because if and when that happens, I'm all about it. But if not, you you just take whatever process and journey you need to because that is an extremely vulnerable and thing to do. And just writing a book is like a giant therapy session anyway. So it's like it is. It's a it lot. Is. It's worth it sometimes, but it's a lot. Well, I'll tell you what. I'll make you a deal. Okay. Um, if I finish this book, you have to have me back on for another conversation because this was fan. I really <laughs> enjoyed this whole conversation. I and I mean that. Oh, thank you. A- absolutely. I will 100% have you back on if you finish the book. I don't want to say this because it might take away from the bet, but I would have you back on regardless. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I need every I need every bit of accountability, okay? Like, okay, like, never just, again. Just, no. yes, oh my uh, gosh. Chris, you've been an absolute joy to talk to. Thank you so much for your time and your story and just, just your generosity with, with all that you have today. I really appreciate it. It's been wonderful. Is there anywhere that you want to tell people to go to find you or your work uh, or your bar if they're local to Austin or want to check out a tour date? Where, where should people find you? So the first place uh, you should probably visit is the website, which is thesandsbar.com. Uh, you can find stuff about you know what's happening here in Austin. And of course, as we begin to get back on the road, you'll find you know ticket information and things like that. Uh, and then Instagram, sans underscore bar. Uh, I don't have a social media manager. I don't have, you know, it's me. <laughs> uh, all the things that I write are me. The messages, the messages that uh, I receive, I read and reply to personally. Um, and I encourage people to connect. If anything that I said resonated with anyone listening, do not hesitate to reach out. Um, connection is so much of what I do and it is something that I still need both professionally but really personally five-year-old Chris still craves connection Mm -hmm. and so I mean that sincerely if you feel compelled to reach out please do so oh I love that I love that Chris I'm so happy to to meet you over the internet and make a new friend over down down in Texas and I will be seeing you in Portland it's gonna happen I I think Portland is 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 gonna be a thing I you know I have a feeling have you had salt and star ice cream over there no. Oh, Chris, you got to get some salt and star ice cream. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> you well, got to do it. Let's do it. it. For let's do it. sure. We got to get those cones, man. I love it. <laughs> oh, man. Well, another reason to be excited about Portland. Yes, another reason. But, Chris, thank you so much again. I will put all this information in the show notes below for those listening. And you take care, okay? We'll talk to you again. Fantastic. Thank you again. Thank you again.